Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome along to the latest episode of The Curious Capitalist. And we've got a full house today. We have got the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut Chair and author, Gavin Watson, the Executive Director, Glenn McDermott, as we welcome our guest today on The Curious Capitalist, Toby Corey. Now, Toby is the Chief Operating Officer of Cruise Phone, a startup company backed by many people and companies, including Leonardo DiCaprio and Ashton Kutcher, to name just two. He is also a seasoned entrepreneur and an educator at Stanford University. Now, Cruise Phone employees and advisors have a deep background in pioneering disruptive technologies to power positive change in business and society. They are laser focused on working towards ending the plastic pollution epidemic with circular packaging solutions for single use plastics. Now they've launched a brand new packaging line to displace polystyrene peanuts and bubble wrap in e-commerce. And we are all super excited to find out more. So Toby, Gavin and Glenn, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you, Claire, and welcome, Toby. I realise that I've been trying to set up this podcast for about a year or so, so but now the time is right, and we appreciate you getting an early start in California to join us this morning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point? Boy, I'm going to try and make this brief because the story could get really long and way out of control. I was telling Gavin that I was born in Waterville, Maine. My dad was an educator, science teacher, moved to Connecticut went to school there. And then I ended up getting a major in economics and a minor in computer science. And my first programming course, I fell in love with technology. I wasn't sure where it was going to go, but I felt like this is really, really cool stuff and has you know the opportunity to change the world in ways I could only imagine back then. And that brought me to a great career opportunity. I moved out to California, my wife, myself and an eight-month-old daughter, and no family out there, out here in Silicon Valley. And the rest is sort of history. Had the opportunity to grow in the tech space, had the opportunity to become a successful entrepreneur, built the world's largest web development company in the mid-90s, had a successful public offering, had the opportunity to retire early in life at 37 and quite frankly, just got bored with playing golf and surfing and doing nothing. And that led me on a different quest. I had the opportunity to be on the board of directors at Wildlife Direct, Dr. Richard Leakey, who's most recently passed away, really focused on preserving biodiversity. And he was an amazing figure. And from there, my career trajectory moved more in the sustainability renewable energy space. I went through my second IPO as Solar City's chief revenue officer. I ran Tesla Energy and 11-year entrepreneurship lecture at Stanford University. And then I met the guys, the two co-founders at Cruise Foam. The company started as a PhD research project at UC Santa Cruz. John Feltz is our CEO and Marco Rolandi, who's our chief science officer. Marco had been working with this really interesting polysaccharide chitin. 
And it turns out it's the second most abundant biopolymer on the planet and felt he had this crazy idea. Initially it was to build surfboards out of this. Come to find out not a lot of investors want to invest in biofoam surfboards. The market wasn't that huge and either you die or pivot, right? So three years ago through National Science Foundation, our CEO went through a full customer discovery process and found, wow, this packaging industry is quite massive. And the team worked on developing a very scalable, cost-effective, protective packaging foam called Cruise Foam, and here I am. What a great journey, Toby, and love the fact that you had a taste of what retirement could look like and was deeply dissatisfied there and come back to do work deeply embedded in purpose. And Conscious Capitalism's main sort of pillar is around creating businesses and through with purpose and, and using that as a way of unifying the brand and becoming a very clear sort of North Star for customers and employees and, and other vendors in the community. And what I love about your product is that it looks at stakeholders in a much broader light, not only the planet, but marine life in particular, that doesn't ordinarily have a voice with us. So tell us a little bit about the drivers in terms of the ecological side. Yeah, so Dan, just to just give a little bit more context to that arc. So when, you know, I fell in love with technology and saw I had the opportunity to download my first web browser that Tim Berners-Lee invented over at CERN. And it really allowed for a voice to emerge where old paradigms, structures that had been really disadvantaging humanity had the opportunity to emerge. And that's what gave me, you know, really excitement around that phase of my career. This phase here is really about, as I look forward, I view the lens through, are we creating more opportunities or more problems for future generations? And unfortunately, I get to the calculus of more problems. That is really disheartening. And I think like, as far as I know, I don't know of any other species on this planet that has the capabilities that we have. With that comes a deep moral and social responsibility, in my opinion, to leave more opportunities for future generations to come and not more problems. So that's really where I've kind of focused my North Star in looking for a catalyst and an opportunity to make an impact on a significant scale. And I guess I look at the world through two lenses. There's what I call the tactical lens, which is there's a lot of broken stuff, whether it's our politics, the way capitalism is structured today, social injustices, and the list goes on, and, you, and you're fighting into a massive headwind. The shift, however, is my focus really in education has been to teach intellectual curiosity and how to set that in motion. And my belief is that having spent 11 years working with Generation Z, I think it's the most altruistic generation to ever exist on a macro level. And that's given me an insane hope that what kind of seeds can be planted? Because I believe that that long-term play in the chessboard looks far more interesting when you can set that in motion. So the focus is really on, you know, I hate the word entrepreneurship because it has such a narrow connotation to it. What it's really code word for is creative thinking, disruption, innovation. And it's needed whether you're a small, medium or large company. When I worked at Tesla, Elon looked for two primary skills, really deep creative thinking outside the box. And that's why Tesla has been so successful, focusing on really hard problems and how to solve those and folks that can execute better than anyone else on the planet. So as the opportunity with Cruise Foam, I got in touch with the two co-founders. I couldn't think of a better area at this point in my life than to focus on something that can remove 
this devastating material from our planet that is leading to massive health issues. We're all aware of the, the massive pollution. This stuff, polystyrene and polyethylene, other petroleum materials, sits in our landfill for four or 500 years. It's in our lakes, it's in our streams, it's in our soils, it's in our beautiful oceans. And to sit back and allow that just to continue to play out was just something that I felt this was the, a platform and a technology that could do both. And I feel like you know, one of the things I learned at Tesla, I remember Elon talking about, you have to have green products, you know, in the earlier phases of the development of that era, it was really all about inferior products that cost more. And you have to solve that in a different way. You've got to create great products that solve customer needs that also have this huge benefit because of their adoption that go on to do fantastic things, whether it's ecological or sustainable or renewable energy or electric vehicles or what have you. People buy a Tesla. It's a great car that happens to be electric. We want people to buy cruise foam because it solves real problems for them. It happens to be compostable and recyclable and have zero petroleum in it. That was a fantastic opportunity to introduce you know, this really cool new material in the world. You know, Packaging alone is a $30 billion market. The sustainability movement is coming in like a tsunami and the opportunity to, to allow a product that solves real customer needs and over time where this can magically disappear we're excited to get this announced and get our commercial operations off the ground, which will be Q2 of this year. I love the way you introduced that, your your thought process. And and I often talk to people, you know, especially students, and I say, you know, we're essentially when we're at our best, we're, we behave like a super organism. And super organisms are all about collectively raising the next generation together and improving the likelihood for the success for the next generations. And as you were pointing out, that not only involves the things that we make and that sort of thing, but also the way that we do things, you know, so the whole capitalist system that we've set up and everything, it's something that we created and we can change it. And we want to have, you know, I think, you know, ideally all of us could agree that, you know, for the next generations, you know, coming along, we want them to have a better planet, better social systems, more democracy, better healthcare, better education, all of those things. I think everybody in the planet should be able to get behind that. So working on problems like this is really the, the main thing that we all should be doing. And I also think you got a chance to retire fairly early. I did about in when I was 61, so about three years ago. And one of the key things about retired people or people who have that time affluence is we get to do stuff that, you know, the rest of society needs. And we get to look around, see what needs doing, what we're good at, and, and go ahead and do those things. And, and so if retirement age gets pushed up at some point, that'll be, in my mind, to the detriment of society, because all of us people with a lot of wisdom getting together and figuring out where, where we can push things for the future is a key part of what needs to be done. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. It's so funny because when I'm working full time and as hard as I am right now, almost at the level I was at Tesla and prior places, I'm like, man, why am I working so hard? And when I'm not working, I'm like, I am so bored. And I'm so, I literally like need to have something like, and I guess it's just, I'm a really restless soul. I operate in a very binary fashion. I've either got to be all in and putting my heart and soul, my energy, my passion into something that I really believe in that I hope has the kind of impact that sets that trajectory of inspiring future entrepreneurs and future innovators and hopefully contributing to creating more opportunities versus more problems in society. There's so much of the packaging world as a byproduct of the petrochemical industry. And I'm wondering how they receive you as a disruptor. Tell us a little bit about that. 
That industry, lobbying activities and tentacles just go so deep. The profits that they make are obscene for putting out just such a terrible product. I imagine that they are looking at ways to continue to, to dominate virtually almost every market that touches humanity that they're in. It even goes down to, you know, so one of the tools that's used in this industry is called an LCA. It's called a life cycle analysis. And it basically lays out both the material, how it's made, its impact on the environment, emissions it puts into the atmosphere. And they literally have impacted those software platforms where as you go through an LCA, there literally is at the end of life for let's say polystyrene, their emissions end, but yet this material sits in landfill for four or 500 years. And there's no responsibility for the tail end of that product. So their influences are, are long and deep. And what I've learned is that you know, the way to combat this type of competition is to focus like a laser, creating amazing products that solve real customer needs, make it scalable and make it affordable. And like, let the market decide. And that's really the, the goal and the opportunity here is, of course, federal tax credits and other types of and legislation helps, but at the end, it doesn't help if your product isn't meeting a real need in the marketplace. So I think at this point in time, it's been really refreshing and amazing to see the amount of demand coming from very large enterprise companies where these ESG goals, they're actually real. They've been adopted by, I think, 96% of all Fortune 500 companies. Not only have they bled through the boardroom, now they're making their way through the organizations and people like packaging engineers, brand managers, operations people are focused on how do they cut their emissions and meet their sustainability goals. And packaging is a really good key area of a single use plastic that serves one small purpose and getting rid of this terrible material that we have. So what's been interesting to watch is most innovations, back in the day, there was a book by Jeffrey Moore called Crossing the Chasm. Today, it's the tipping point where you have an adoption curve that starts with you know, innovators, which are 2%, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. And mostly at the front end of that, you've got kind of a very small, set of folks that are willing to get out there, get on the bleeding edge. This adoption curve is almost opposite, where you have very large companies, the largest of the large companies, knocking on the, the doors of people like Cruise Film and I'm sure others. And that's really refreshing to see. It's incumbent on these entrepreneurs and innovators is to create really great products that really solve their needs, that can scale and continue to make it more affordable for them to adopt that. And that's the magic and that's the hard part Doing the hard thing is really what, what creates value. So that's where we're at. We're pushing forward. We see the market demand and it's just constantly, you know, focusing on creating better and more products that solve real customer needs. It's exciting stuff, Toby. It really is. Tell me a little bit about Cruise Foam's operation. It's on the West Coast, isn't it? So say Amazon knock on your door tomorrow and say, OK, we want to do away with all of our polystyrene. How well placed are you to meet the demands of some of these big Fortune 500 companies and their packaging needs? That's a really great question. And one of the reasons why I decided to become an investor board member and chief operating officer here at Cruise Film. So when I first met the two co-founders, I thought it was quite interesting that they're working on, a, on this cool biofoam. There's been a lot of biofoams. We're not the first company to ever attempt to do that. However, where others have failed is in how do you make it scalable 
and how do you make it cost effective? Because not a lot of companies want to pay more for their packaging material. It's a tall order to ask when I'm asking you to cut your profit margins for better packaging material. So the way the two co-founders looked to solve this problem was in addition to creating this material based on this really cool material called chitin. By the way, we only acquire from sustainable sources and we divert from landfill. So it diverts from waste. It's an epic story. But more importantly, when they developed this material, they focused on how to create it using existing manufacturing equipment. So today, one of the largest and most successful ways to produce protective foam is through extrusion. It's a manufacturing process. And the fact that they were looking at developing a material that can utilize existing extrusion manufacturing out there. And extrusion, basically the way it works in polyethylene and polystyrene is you start with a pellet or a resin. So you take your raw materials, it compounds in a twin screw extruder, you get a pellet or a resin. And then foaming manufacturers buy that and foam you know, into larger sheets and protective mailers and cruise wraps and all kinds of cool stuff and products. And our material is manufactured the same way. So we're not having to, and not a lot of capital investors want to invest in big capex or manufacturing floor footprint. And when a company like Whirlpool comes to us and says they need you know, millions and millions of pieces, that's doing me any good to say, I can give you 100,000 pieces this year and it's gonna cost you three times more. And really at the time, I wasn't sure they could pull that off. But as the company began to develop, we've had over a thousand different formulations in the course of the last six years and found a way to take advantage of all of that infrastructure so that we could scale and make the product affordable and continue to make it affordable. And here's the analogy to it. It's almost like, okay, if you think about the internet, the internet's been around for a really long time. It started as a DARPANET in the 60s as a, a TCP IP based Unix network that allowed for no single point of failure. So the, the government wanted to ensure that their systems could stay up in, in the event of any kind of attack, there was no single point of failure. This guy, Tim Berner-Lee comes along and just adds basically a killer application on top of the internet, HTTP and HTML, and the world changed, right? But it used that existing infrastructure. And that's where I saw the opportunity here was to use all of this investment, trillions of dollars. And on top of that, a lot of them, their customers, those phone manufacturers, their customers are asking for sustainable material. What do they care about? I want to be able to run my line. I want to be able to make money. I want to employ people. And so if I can greenify those machines and give you a better product where you can make as much, if not more money at the same time, solving a really big problem, that's the way you line up where the snowball can go downhill instead of trying to push it uphill is to have a kind of business strategy like that. The Curious Capitalist podcast on behalf of the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter is created and produced by Red Rock Branding. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to and share this podcast today. I love companies that have got a particular pain point to solve, Toby, and you've hit on many of those. And I'm wondering how that affects the culture and the and the leadership of Cruise Foam. Is it a unifying factor? What's it like to recruit? And you know, how does that enable other operational aspects? That is a really good question. One of my famous quotes are, are startups are hard. It's actually, they're effing hard. They're just incredibly difficult because one, there's no playbook. If you had one, everyone would do it and have their island somewhere off the coast of Greece or Positano in Italy. So it takes an incredible amount of talent, focus, energy. And at the same time, a lot of the challenge comes into mostly finding what not to do. Because as I've been involved in early stage companies 
and you end up just chasing so many things. So what ends up happening is you have these very precious resources. You end up trying to apply them over such a broad landscape and you end up doing 15 of them mediocre versus the two or three that are really, really important and really move the needle. And I found that there aren't a lot of like people that understand that dynamic. At the same time, you want to make sure that you have enough of a creative envelope where you have the right shots on goal and the right opportunities. And understanding that dynamic is like really, really hard and challenging. And I watched Steve Jobs do it. I watched Elon Musk do that. And the hard part is saying no. And that boils down to just staying connected with your vision, really deeply understanding your business strategy and what the customer need is. And that creates an interesting dynamic for companies. And our side that the hardest part is that your biggest asset as an early stage company is the fact that you're small and you can move and you're very nimble versus large companies, petroleum industries, and other large Dow chemicals and these other folks, they're like this big aircraft carrier. So that puts a lot of pressure and dynamic on company culture and that you're having to move in an incredibly hard way that the pace of it is really unprecedented. And startups are not for everybody. You know, if you really like my job description looks like this, I come into work, I just do this, where I'm in a swim lane, you need what I call renaissance people. And you need folks that can basically have unique abilities across the spectrum of this early stage company, because it's almost think of it this analogy is this, you're trying to get from point A to point B. So what ends up having to happen is you have to get one, the right people on the bus, you got to get them sitting in the right seat. And then the bus has to go in the right direction, right? So it's almost a quote of like, we're all in a rowboat and like only half of us are in the rowboat and the other half were swimming alongside the boat or everyone was in a rowboat, but people were paddling in, in different directions. It's gonna take you a long time to get there. Maybe you, you end up not making it because timing is so important in, in these early stage companies. So the way to mitigate that is by a deep focus on people understanding your mission, your business strategy, what problem you're solving, who your customers are, and just a deep focus on operational execution and synchronizing that across the company because you are gonna have to make changes. And what happens is if you don't have good communication and you have to just set that expectation in hiring people that have that DNA where, and I call it managed chaos. Sometimes I get criticized for that word, but that's really what it is and that you're coming in there may be a new you know something that's changed in the marketplace or an area you know in this case it's really hard for us to go out and find like make sure we have a supply chain that can meet this massive need that we have and how to scale that oh yeah we have to have these manufacturing partners that are set up that can run and process and manufacture our material and do that at scale and worry about where it's being foamed and not have too much transportation costs if you're foaming in north carolina to get that foam to california and how you're going to scale uh, into Europe and into Asia and into South America and other parts. So by, by sequencing that, and I think when you hire is setting that expectation at the same time, I like to think of ourselves as a human centric company and actually caring deeply about the people that work here because we're asking a lot of them. And I think what goes with that is this opportunity where to treat people well, everyone in our company has stock options, align everyone's interest in, in the right direction. And it's funny because yeah, I often get asked from a lot of my Stanford students, what's a good career step for me out of college? And my take on it is, unless you already know what you want to do, like, oh, I know I want to be a lawyer or an HR person or go into finance. Most don't. So 
my advice is to find companies like cruise film that have had a successful series a they're getting in the market because typically you're going to come in you're going to work with the ceo you're going to work with the co-founder you're going to get to do a lot that's what puts your career in the right trajectory where i've gained all this experience and all these insights working with like really smart people and being able to contribute at a level that i couldn't contribute at google or salesforce or meta or or, Nate, or linkedin or, or microsoft or name your largest company so that's how i sort of look at that dynamic but it's always very challenging I think that's excellent advice for students. I love that because that is a big thing when they're, you know, getting out of college or whatever, and they're looking for their first job and, you know, what kind of places that they want to be in. And, you know, all those things you just said, including, you know, a place where they're going to be highly engaged, be able to do a lot of really cool stuff and where, you know, the company really cares about them. I think you sounds like the cruise phone place that everybody cares about each other, works really hard together and, and has a great time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I also think, you know, really lean heavy into your intellectual curiosity. So, and I'll give you a couple quick examples of that. When I got recruited to join Solar City, I knew nothing about solar. I mean, zero. Like if you showed me my electricity bill, it would be like reading Greek. Like what's a demand charge? What's a kilowatt hour? And so when I was contacted, and I said, why do you want to hire someone with no experience? And it was, you know, Elon was our largest shareholder. His brother, Lyndon and Pete Rye ran the company as the two cousins. They wanted to, they wanted someone that was a successful entrepreneur that could think outside the box, that could think about not just a solar company, but like how to innovate in large ways that solve real customer problems. I really deeply believe in first principles and coming in here, spent a lot of time understanding not only the technology, but like, how does a tax credit work? How does our structured finance work? What are pricing across states like New Hampshire and Massachusetts and California of electricity? How do we price our product where it's compelling? We can continue to survive and it's, and it's compelling enough for the customer. How does the technology work in terms of the solar cells and, and an inverter and everything in between, right? And become an expert. And the same thing happened at Cruise Film where I get excited. The bigger the opportunity, and the more I get to learn, the more excited, the more passionate I become. So I don't have a degree in chemistry. I hated chemistry. I think I got F's in chemistry in school. And I don't have anything, any formal education in material science. Had the opportunity to come in here and spend time with our engineers and learn about every ingredient that goes into the product. Why is that ingredient in here? What percent of is it in? Everything around the, the mechanics of our IP and how it's processed and pricing and what polystyrene and poly and everything in between. And that's what gets me excited is this opportunity to be not only intellectually creative, but how to set that in motion. So, you know, use naivete as an asset. You know, if you don't think you can do a job or you're not skilled enough, then I can tell you you're absolutely not, right? It's all mindset and believing and coming in with this ability to want to listen and want to learn and want to contribute. That's the magic of a great life and a great career and, and the opportunity to tackle some of our biggest challenges in a way that's like exciting and refreshing and innovative where we could deliver a great return to our shareholders. I took a big risk on CruiseFo. We can deliver great value to our customers that are desperately needing this product. Product We can do great justice to our employees who spend a lot of time and energy and blood, sweat and tears at Cruise Foam and making their stock options worth something and delivering an incredible career experience for them. It's quite a busy schedule you got there, Toby. Tell us a little bit about Toby when he's not at work. How does he chill out? How does he relax? Uh, that should be, does Toby know how to relax, shouldn't it? I mean, the guy <laughs> retired at 37. How long were you retired for, Toby? That's what I want to know. It was like three or four years. 
And it was so funny, my youngest daughter, she's 32 now. She just got married, that, a beautiful wedding in Carmel with her college sweetheart. And the wedding ceremony was, we ended up singing together Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen because when she was in sixth grade and I wasn't working, I jumped in my truck, I had a CD player in there and she and I, and she's actually an amazing singer songwriter, would be just karaoke to Thunder Road. And so, yeah, I was taking my daughter to school, surfing, a little bit of golf, a bunch of travel. And then you sort of ask yourself, like, God, is this all that life is? And I said, I, I'm just a restless soul. And I think that for me, I find ways to unwind in very non-traditional ways. So just meditation just doesn't work for me. And for me, nature is probably the greatest relaxation medicine on the planet. So I love to surf. I haven't surfed that much because of the time investment here at Cruise Foam, but Santa Cruz has got so much abundance in nature and beauty. You know, Big Sur is an hour plus ride away, Half Moon Bay, Pescadero, Monterey, and everything in between, the beautiful Santa Cruz mountains, and incredible redwoods here. That is just an opportunity to just leave everything behind, my cell phone, my laptop, and all the stuff that's kind of racing through my brain and just get myself into this beautiful, you know, rhythm and energy. And part of that is the framework I sort of look at my life through is if you think about three dimensions, a, an X-axis, a Y-axis and a Z-axis. On the X-axis, if you label that consciousness and that's, you know, what's interesting is I had a, a world famous neuroscientist, Dr. David Eagleman speak in my class at Stanford many years ago. And he was citing a whole bunch of studies on how what happens with humans is that almost all of us losing all of this neuroplasticity over life because you don't use it. So a, someone from zero to two years old, I have a four month old new grandson right now. They're making 24 million new brain connections a minute. And so you have this, and I have a five-year-old grandson and the questions that comes out of his mouth, because there's no boundaries, just pure imagination. And there's no, you know, he hasn't been zombified or followed into the path of status quo. And life does that to you. You think like a human, you know, you think this way. And then what happens is as, as you don't lose that neuroplasticity arose because you're not using it. The brain consumes a lot of energy. So the body's like, hey, we're not using it. So then you end up with the same thoughts, the same actions, the same emotions. That's how you stay in this rut. So I like to spend time in like, how do I connect with my true inner self and get divorced from all of what like tr traditional human looks like and acts like in, in here in, in the 21st century. And there's like massive health benefits to that. And like that is the origins of where creativity comes from. Then the, along the x-axis, I label that knowledge. And how do we acquire knowledge or wisdom? Well, a lot of it is like through what are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to? And what people are you connecting with? And unfortunately, society actually does everything in its power to keep you in the same swim lane. And I'll just give you a small example. If you go on LinkedIn right now, I just randomly request like 30 people to join you on LinkedIn. If enough people say they don't know you, you're going to get a message from LinkedIn. Don't reach out to people that you don't know. When the exact opposite is true, you want the most broadest acculturation and differing points of view. What happens on social media? There's a social graph, an algorithm that's sitting there and, oh, you're a conservative. Here's what you get. Oh, you're a liberal. Here's what you get. You're this, you're that, and these labels, and then you basically get spun 
into and to having your world become narrow and narrower over time when the exact opposite should be true. And it's like, I, as I've said, I hated science in school and I found myself so intrigued with quantum mechanics and the state of like particles and matter and have been exploring along so many different horizons. You know, I'm reading this epic book right now called Sapiens. And the old Toby would never be reading this book. And it's, it's amazing, you know, the Tao Te Ching by Stephen Mitchell. I think he's actually a graduate of Yale and on and on. But that's the basis of where the, your superpower comes from because we all have infinite creativity, all of us. And when it manifests itself in infinite different ways, you may be a great musician or an artist or a computer programmer or whatever that might be. And so creativity comes from is having like, how many unique data points can you get on your radar? You live a narrow life and you're meeting with the same people and reading the same things you're not reading at all. And like, aren't intellectually curious Then man, you've got like, then that neuroplasticity begins to erode and all this insane talent that you have, you end up just basically like letting it go off into some other, you know, universe or wherever that goes. And then that Z axis is how do I set that in motion? Right. And you know, I think like my dad once said like, Hey man, like you can sleep when you're dead. And I just like believe in that deeply. Right. So like I have grandkids now, like I want to set the right example, but at the same time, like really connecting with who you are. And like, when I lecture, I tell everyone, take whatever I say with a grain of salt, like my opinion and $3, maybe get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Probably not. And you want to have your own unique tapestry. You want to have your own path. Don't follow someone else's path, right? And you're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time and I'm human and that's part of it. And my daughter bought me this amazing book. So Osho, I don't know if you've seen his series on Netflix, it's absolutely epic, but was an amazing guru and lecturer. And he never wrote anything down. Some folks followed him and took a bunch of his teachings and wrote a book called Fear. And he spent a lot of time with people on their deathbeds and basically would ask them like, what are you feeling right now? And so many of them felt regret at that time in that life where you go on to whatever, that's probably a whole different podcast, what, what happens after at that point in time. But he said the way to mitigate that is to live life as much out over your skis as you possibly can. And I really subscribe to that with no regrets. It doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes. It doesn't mean I could look back would do things differently, but it is who it is. It's who Toby Corey is right now. And I accept that and try to become better and better. But like, am I pushing the boundary or am I lazy and loafing and having, you know, cause like at the end of the day, what's life really about? It's collecting experiences and how many unique experiences can I collect? And that's how I look at that, right? And a little help for some cool psychedelic trips I've taken along the way. And again, probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> I'll definitely host that one, Toby. Toby, what a great way to wrap up. I really enjoyed your life journey and I share your enthusiasm for over the skis. And even if that means coming off a few times, it's definitely a, a full life lived. So thanks for sharing that today. And thanks, Gavin, for joining us in this conversation and, and Claire for setting it up at all, as always. And Really look forward to future chapters, Toby. I believe this will be the first. I think you kicked on a few topics that are almost standalone. So let's pick it up later. Yeah, it's yeah. fabulous. I'd love to come back in. Gavin, it was a pleasure to meet you, Claire. And Glenn, always a pleasure. We met over a year ago. This was really fun. And yeah, man, call me anytime and we can delve into any crazy territory that, that suits your fancy. 
Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being a part of The Curious Capitalist. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.